Okay, so this portion is the portion of Bo. And of course, I'm using Shemishmuel. And he talks about the 10 plagues. And it says that the first, first of all, the, the first seven plagues were in last week's portion in Vaera. And there are three plagues in this week's portion. And explains that the first set of seven plagues correspond to the heart. <clears throat> and the second set of the three plagues correspond to the intellect. So the, the first seven that we're talking about, which correspond to the heart, are emotional attributes. And I just want to tell you what the emotional attributes are. So the seven emotional attributes that were that correspond to the seven uh, the seven plagues from last week <clears throat> are corresponding to kindness, strength or restriction, beauty, endurance or victory, humility or having thankfulness, um, found, foundation and nobility. Those are the seven traits that. Um, the emotional attributes that correspond to the seven plagues from last week. This week, it's the plagues that correspond to the intellect. And those plagues are wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And I'm going to explain it in a second. So each one of the plagues was supposed to um, fix, rectify, and elevate those attributes and transform, transform them into the positive and godly characteristics because emotions can either be good or bad and the Egyptians decided to go with the negative. That's why the first seven plagues came from a negative spiritual source. And if you think about all of the plagues, it's the blood, the frogs, lice, wild animals, um, pestilence, boils, and hail. They're all the creations that the Torah either forbids the Jewish people to eat or they're considered impure. Now, the fact that the Torah puts them out of, of our reach, the fact that we're not allowed to, to, to eat them, actually is, is showing how that we should have been able to, how the Egyptians should have been able to choose and elevate them, but they decided not to. So bringing the plagues upon the Egyptians was basically God's way of causing this, this spiritual um, power to reflect back on um, the world. And it basically deflected away from the Jews. So the intellectual traits that we're talking about this week are the, um, the wisdom, the understanding, and the knowledge. And this is a different, different story, a different aspect. So pure intellect is not evil. Uh, a person with a good intellect can use it for either positive or negative, right? So, but the intellect itself is not intrinsically evil. It's not evil. So the final three plagues, which correspond to the intellect, is what God gave man. And they're not materials or things that are considered impure by the Torah. They're actually positive things. The eighth plague which was what's the, we have the eighth, ninth and 10th plague. So the eighth plague was locusts, which by the way, are considered kosher. But today we don't know which kind of locusts are considered kosher, so we don't eat them. And the actual horror of the plague was that there were so many locusts, but if today we knew what was kosher, some of them, I mean, I can't imagine eating that, but some of them are kosher. The ninth plague was darkness. 
And actually, darkness comes from a very high source. If you say the morning blessings, you know that it says formed light and created darkness. Creation, which is Bria, is a higher spiritual level than formation, which is Yitzirah. So Bria is creation, Yitzirah is formation. And it says that in the blessing, darkness comes before light, meaning if you think about it, blindness, for example, is explained by the sages as the result of too much light. So a person who's blind is born without the ability to filter out enough light to see. But it's not a negative thing. Darkness then represents an overabundance, a blinding overabundance of light. So if you receive a great intellectual illumination, light, but you don't know how to channel it in the right direction, that's what can, can create negativity. And that so basically, again, darkness was not a, a negative thing because intellect is not something that's evil. And the 10th plague was the killing of the firstborn of the Egyptians. And even though it is murder, and of course that's forbidden in the Torah and we don't wanna go about murdering, um, justifiable forms of killing in the Torah are not forbidden. And, and then it, you can use it as an example that God himself who killed the Egyptian firstborn either because of their cruelty to the Jews or because they represented the highest power of evil. And since the punishment was given out by the creator himself, the final plague came from the highest and purest spiritual source possible. And Shemeshwal explains that just as the first seven plagues eliminated the emotion of the power of evil in the Egyptians, the final three plagues took out the intellectual power that the Egyptians had invested in evil and gave it to the Jews to be used positively. So, so they were able to receive the Torah and serve the creator. So there's this whole thing of Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And of course, the question is why? And it's the beginning of the portion. And God tells Moses to go see Pharaoh and he tells him, I'm going to harden his heart. And the question is, if God already says that he's going to harden the heart of Pharaoh, what's the point of Moses trying to persuade him to let the Jews go, right? It's an obvious question. So the answer, and in order to explain the, the really chosen resistance to the creator, or if we actually have free will, we need to explain what tshuva is, repentance. And the way that tshuva works is that we have to understand that there's spiritual purity and spiritual impurity. And it's it's kind of a little bit confusing, but I think we can bring it down to, to understand a little bit. Um, spiritual impurity is what prevents a person from getting closer to the creator. So Pharaoh, Witness seven plagues, right? He, his kingdom, like all the nations in the world at that time, were under the influence of nature, seven days of the week, seven days of creation, the seven plagues. And the seventh plague of hail should have been able to finish the Egyptians and broken Pharaoh so that he would give in, but it didn't. So obviously Moses is wondering why, and, and all of the Jews at that time were wondering why not. And God explains, I have hardened his heart. He himself doesn't have the power to resist, but I am making it happen. What does that mean? Hardening of the heart is equal to spiritual impurity. 
Because according to Shemi Shmuel, you're, you hardened, the creator said to Pharaoh, you hardened, because you hardened your neck and heart, I will add impurity to your impurity. So what is hardening of the heart? What is hardening of the heart? It's being closed to getting closer to the creator. It's being closed to um, admitting our flaws. It's being closed to having a certain level of opening our hearts to the negativity inside of us. So we never lose our free choice. But if we drift so far from the creator that we harden our heart, then the creator will harden it more so that we won't have free will anymore. But on the other hand, if we decide to do tshuva, if we decide to open our hearts, the creator will be there and help us 10 times more. The Lubavitcher Rebbe is looking at this situation and he says that the first time God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart was in the plague of hail. But at that time, Moses wasn't asked to go and warn Pharaoh. Now, before the plague of locusts, Moses is sent to warn Pharaoh. And then God also hardened Pharaoh's heart. What does this mean? This means that Pharaoh and his ministers knew that a plague was about to happen, but they couldn't do anything about it, even if they wanted to. And according to Rashi, the purpose of Moses warning Pharaoh about this, because it seems like there was no purpose in it. The purpose of Moses warning Pharaoh was to achieve the maximum mockery of Egypt, meaning the Egyptians saw, the Egyptians saw that Pharaoh was warned, that he knew that a plague was coming and he couldn't do anything about it. And here we can see the consequences of the spiritual impurity that I was talking about. Because the more we bring it upon ourselves, the spiritual impurity, by, by not going according to the creator, according to the, the Torah and mitzvot, the more impurity overpowers our own free will. What does that mean for us in our days? The more negativity we do, the more negativity we bring upon ourselves. So nothing just happens because, nothing happens to us. That's what I want to leave us, leave with us this week. Things don't just happen because. We don't forget things just because we forgot. We don't lose things just because we, we forgot. We don't hurt someone by mistake. We never hurt someone by mistake. We decide to be closed. We decide not to be aware of what's happening around us because of a million reasons, and we all do it. We're, we're busy, we're going through the day, we go through our robotic things, our to-do lists, and we're not always aware of everything around us. But if we understand that it's our free will, you know, it says um, that God gave us a path, an easier path, we just need to choose it. What does that mean? That we usually, even though it doesn't seem that it's the right thing, we choose the harder path. Why? Because we, it's hard for us to look inside. It's hard for us to stop, even if it's for a minute, and see what's going on around us. And the minute that we go into our to-do lists, our things that need to be done, and, and the things that need to be done could be for a very high purpose, meaning you could be doing something good for somebody, but because you're on the way to do something good for somebody, you don't realize anything else that's happening around you, and you actually miss the point because you're missing the connection with a person 
That's the most important thing. Even if what you're doing is for that person, you could be doing something good for that person and it, and it could be the best thing for them. But if you're not listening to that person while you're doing the good thing for them, you've just missed the point. And that's where the hardening of the heart comes in, where we close ourselves. What's hardening a heart? We close ourselves. We close ourselves to our surrounding. We close ourselves to the creator because opening our hearts and being open to other people is not easy. But the more we open ourselves, the more we give each other the opportunity to be heard and to feel the other person, the more the creator will help us. So the same way that, that the creator hardened Pharaoh's heart, meaning Pharaoh was so stubborn and he didn't want to give in. He didn't want to let the Jews go. He didn't want to stop all the plagues, no matter what the cost was. The creator came and said, okay, you're going to harden your heart. I'm going to harden it much more. You won't have a free will anymore. And it's the opposite way also. You're going to open yourselves. You want to do tshuva. You want to change for the other person. And by the way, no one really changes. You know, it's not about, the, the work is not about changing. The Torah and the mitzvot are there as tools to help us connect to the creator. And by doing that, we can get closer to each other. We can help each other. It's not about if we're busy changing ourselves, then we've forgotten about anybody and everybody around us. But if we, every moment of the day, work on who's in front of me, what can I do to help them? What pain are they in? And it's it could be a few seconds. It's not, it's not, you don't have to sit now for an hour thinking about anything. It could be a smile, it could be a high, it could be anything. It's not, you know, you don't have to now sit the whole day and think of what to do for the other person. It's just about making them feel like you're there. You're a hundred percent there. You're at work. You're a hundred percent there with your, with the people you work with. You're at home. You're a hundred percent there with your family or your friends or whoever it is, because even if what you're doing is for them, if you're not including them, or if you're not feeling them, or if you're not present there for them, you've missed the point. Questions or comments. Is a person who is born blind a higher soul? I can't say for sure, but I can say that according to Shemi Shmuel, that darkness is, is the abundance of light. So that I don't know if scientifically, if a person who's blind doesn't have the filters in their eye to see light, I would have to check that. Yes, who has a question? So you talked a little bit about the hardening of the heart. Yes. Um, the question relates to how do you how do you open your heart to somebody who has constantly constantly refused that opening? How do you and that person is you know completely hardened, completely angry, completely? How do you continue to op be open hearted in that situation? Well, first of all, it's never about the other person the opening of the heart is you. And when you open the heart, it's not about you sharing now and pouring out your problems or, or whatever it is that you want to pour out. It's about finding a way to reach them because obviously they're closed because they're going through pain or they're upset about something, or it's never about you. It's about the other person. So if you can open your heart and find a place for compassion or for just listening to them, or, you know, you can't obviously, you can't make them a victim because if someone has a very closed heart, you have to find a way to get in there and you just have to be open. Maybe that person isn't, isn't ready. 
and giving them space is also is also an option. But again, it's to it's to remember that it's not about us. It's about them. When you open your heart, it's it's not okay. I'm going to sit now and pour all of my problems out. That's not opening your heart. Opening your heart means that you're there to let someone in. So if someone is not willing to go in yet, it means that they have they have issues that they need to deal with. And and opening your heart means just being there for them in every any way that they need it. Not what what you want to give them and what they need might not be the same thing. So if you're willing to bring yourself down a little bit and and come from a place of humbleness and humility and really try and find out what is it that they need or they want because it might not be what you want to give them. Does that make sense? Yes, I guess the I forgot to put the it makes perfect sense. I guess what I was trying to say maybe I clumsily said it was you know somebody who is harming you in that process, right? Somebody who is uh if um if you're taking all of those steps already and by being open-hearted, that person continues to harm you, how do you- Harm you? you just, okay, so first of yeah. all, first of all, if we're talking about emotional, I mean, if it's not physical abuse, there's ways to deal with it. But if it's physical, I, you know, obviously you need to take care of it and you can't have that person next to you. But in order to be able to reach a person you need to be able to take yourself out of the picture. And that could be the hardest thing to do because they're not, unless they're intrinsically evil or bad, which I doubt that there are, a person doesn't hurt somebody else because they just want to hurt somebody. A person hurts someone else emotionally. I'm not talking about physically. Physically, I don't deal with, but a person hurts somebody emotionally because they're hurting and they don't know how to ask for help. And until they know how to ask for help and until they're willing to accept the help, there's not much you can do. But you have to understand that you need to be able to take yourself out of the picture. And because I know it's a concept that's easy to say and harder to do, but nobody can hurt you if you don't allow them to hurt you. And so it's kind of like our egos are being hurt or, you know, I'm doing all of this for this person and they're, they're not, they don't show any reciprocation, but we're not supposed to look for that either. So if we can come from a pure place of you really want to help that person, at some point, they will feel that energy because it's most of the time, it's not about what we say. It's about what we don't say. And when you're genuinely coming from a place of I want to help that person and you take yourself out of the, the picture, slowly, slowly, they'll feel safe to open up. Thank you. Thank you for that. Anyone else? All right, thank you.